0: Welcome to the WPC Sermons podcast from Westminster Presbyterian Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. This week's sermon is from Associate Pastor Leslie Dibble, titled Every Moment Holy. To find more information on our worship services and live stream, check out our website, westminstercharlotte.org. Now enjoy this week's message from Pastor Leslie. Our scripture reading today is from the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. May your word, Lord, be a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. May the unfolding of your words give light and understanding that we might evermore dwell with you and you in us, amen. Part of my journey as a person, as a Christian, as a former nurse, and now as a pastor, is to reflect upon those 12 to 14 inches between our head and our hearts. Some of you have heard this part of my story before, but I think it bears repeating. When I left my lifelong vocation as a nurse, and enrolled in seminary some 21 years ago, my pastor at that time took me out to lunch and asked me about my initial classes. It was with great exuberance that I shared with him that I was taking a class called systemic theology. He laughed and corrected my nursing brain and he said, no Leslie, it's systematic theology. Lesson learned. But the more I've lived life, the more I find myself asking the question, what is the point of theology, of what we believe, if it's not embodied in all of who we are? If that distance between our head and our hearts is not changed and transformed more and more into who we were created to be, more and more into the image of Christ Jesus, our Lord. As C.S. Lewis puts in Mirror Christianity, every Christian is to become a little Christ. The whole purpose of becoming a Christian is simply nothing else. What we believe in our minds must be lived out in our days. Our ordinary, often disappointing, many times challenging, and sometimes deep with costly suffering days. All of our ordinary days are holy, Every hour of every day, as a new liturgy book recently published, says, every moment holy. And why is that? Because time is the medium through which we do our living. And God makes time holy by his presence in it. We often just don't take the energy or attention to see God or to be found by God in ordinary things. We would rather have extraordinary experiences or radical practices or lives overflowing with significant success and impact. I mean, who wants ordinary? But most of our life is lived in the ordinary. Our passage in Romans today begins with a passionate plea on Paul's part. I urge you, therefore, imperative. And what is the therefore, therefore? He says, I urge you, therefore. Up to this point in Romans, Paul has written 11 chapters of dense, profound theology, speaking to what God has done for his world in Christ Jesus. And then he says, therefore. Therefore, live differently love differently, as Owen preached on last week. Let all of your life be impacted by the mercies of God. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Paul uses the same language here from the sacrificial system of the past in the Old Testament, life and offering. But now he puts it in a whole new context. Instead of cows and birds and sheep and goats, the offering is your life, my life, all of me, my body, my mind, my heart, my soul. In priestly sacrifice of the past, the animal had a one-time use. It was killed as a sacrificial offering that, um, and then burned on the altar and then perhaps eaten. Here Paul is talking about a living sacrifice that keeps on living. In Paul's Greek culture, this would be startling news because bodies were considered subpar, ordinary. That's not where spiritual things happen. Why would Paul say this is your spiritual worship? Paul says that offering our very selves to God in this way is an act of worship that actually pleases God. Eugene Peterson translate Romans 12:1 this way. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, You're going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. Often we believe that worship is only what we do here in this place. And indeed, what we do here together in this worship service is significant. It is our time set apart in the week where together we bring ourselves to offer God our prayers, our praise. Where we recite liturgy to remind one another what God has done for us. Where we encourage one another in the hope set before us. Yet in this text, Paul is saying that worship is not just confined in a sanctuary. And that what goes on in all of our life is to be worshipful. Often the tension is that we try to divide our sacred lives from our secular lives in a dualistic context. The phrase spiritual worship, Paul does not use the expected New Testament term for spiritual, which would be pneuma, spirit. Rather, he uses the word, if I can pronounce it, logikos, that's the Greek. It's where we get the word logic and it can be understood as rational rational or reasonable some bible translations read Romans 12 this that says present your bodies as a living sacrifice as our reasonable service to god friends what this means is that god wants all of us in all we do as worship to him things as different on the spectrum as prayer and housework, as bread and wine in the Eucharist and peanut butter and jelly for our children at home, as baptism and bathing. Julie Canlis has written an excellent book entitled Theology of the Ordinary, which one of our summer book clubs studied and is now the focus of the Tuesday evening uh, woman's Bible study. Canlis herself, got her PhD while having five children. So she gets the balance. Canlis helps us to understand how God invites us into understanding our ordinary lives on this earth as our spiritual worship. She begins where we should all begin, in the beginning, in the creation story. God chose to create this world and the people within it out of love, not because he needed us, but as an overflow of his love. The way the creation story is told, God created the earth as his temple, and that place where we, his people, commune with him. He filled the earth, that temple, with human beings. And being made a creature in the creator's image is the highest honor, for God himself said, it is very good. Yet we also understand that God made us with finite limitations. We're limited by our humanness. We are the creatures and God is the creator. As Canlis puts it, our very limitations imply the need for relationship. Often we try to cover up our limitations and our, our humanness. We run from our creatureliness. Yet, that limitation is written into our very makeup. And it's written there so that we would long for a relationship with God who could make us whole. That's how God intended it. God celebrates our humanity. It is very good. When Adam and Eve went grasping after the fruit, what they were attempting to do was to live a life without limitations to try to be God. The act was at its root, Canlis says, in gratitude at their being made creatures. What Adam and Eve can teach us is that what God wants from us is for all of our ordinary, limited lives to be offered to him with gratitude and dependence. That is our spiritual worship. We thank him for the good days and the challenging days. We acknowledge our gratitude and need for him, both while leading a prayer in the chapel or in the service as Alice just did, as well as being at home changing a diaper for the 15th time or mowing the grass. All of this is an offering of worship to Almighty God. God blessed creation as being very good and as our place of communion with him. But then what happened? Sin entered the world through this desire to be God. And it was here that we missed the mark of what we've been created for, a loving communion with God himself. To make things right, God came to to us himself as the word made flesh and dwelt among us. He did it so that we could be reunited in that communion from the garden. Sometimes we think so much of our salvation as Jesus dying on the cross to save us from our sins. And indeed, that is true. But there's more to it. God became human not just to get a job done. Jesus, in his perfect Humanity reclaims all of our ordinary life and turns it back to the Father for communion with Him. Jesus is fully human in order that you and I might become in Him fully human as God intended. Each part of Jesus' human life is part of His atoning work, His birth. His growth in wisdom and stature, his baptism, his temptation, his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension. Jesus journeyed through every life stage that we do. If he had not, we would not be able to be made whole in those areas. An early church father says the unassumed is the unhealed. Jesus's perfect human life assumes and reclaims all of our lives. Not just our worship and prayer, but our parenting, our doctoring, our carpooling, our banking. You can put whatever you want in there. Do we take time to think of Jesus's life in this way? Would it not change perhaps how we experience ordinary days, how we grow in our obedience to God, how Jesus had to grow in wisdom and stature, how we understand our identity as God's beloved child, how we deal with the struggles of temptation as Jesus did, how we embrace sharing in the sufferings of Christ. God's gift of salvation to us is his recreating of us and this world that we live in. And that involves all of our ordinary days. We've spoken of the Father's creation and the world is his temple. We've pondered that with the coming of the Son, our ordinary existence is recreated and redeemed. And then it's the Holy Spirit that places our ordinary life in Christ. It's Apostle Paul's vision that we live our lives in Christ. For to me to live is Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. It's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We have been made alive to God in Christ who is himself quite comfortable in our ordinary flesh in existence. The Spirit brings heaven to earth by perfecting created things and bringing them to fulfillment. Friends, that the the Holy Spirit puts us in Christ is not some mystical, out-of-body experience. Our ordinary daily lives are meant to be lived in Christ in this world. If we try to separate our life with God into the spiritual and the everyday, then our ordinary lives are reduced to subpar, inferior, and unimportant. When we live in Christ as ordinary, authentic, vulnerable people, we become a picture of what we were intended to be, God and humanity united together in heart and in purpose. This is the mercy of God. It is by God's divine initiative and providence, and it really is a summary of Paul's theology in the first 11 chapters. Therefore, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. Paul continues in our text. He said, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect. Friends, we have two choices. We can either live into this reality of a God who longs to be united with us and provides the way for that in Christ and thus be transformed by him through the Spirit, or we can choose to be conformed to this world and to the false narratives that it speaks to us. Either we're conformed to the world and become like our surroundings, or we're transformed by God and become who we've been created to be. We present our bodies as a living sacrifice to God so that he can act upon us and change us from the inside out. But as Richard Foster once said, the problem with living sacrifices is that they can crawl off the table. So we must incorporate things into our minds and practices that help us to live differently. God is present everywhere, so that indeed makes every moment holy, but too often we forget that God is present with us right where we are. In our Genesis text, Jacob was asleep, deep sleep, and in a dream. And he awoke and he said, surely God is in this place and I didn't even know it. I want you to think this morning of a dream that you've had where when you woke up, you were not so sure what reality you were really in. Were you in the place of your dream or were you in the reality of your bedroom? You ask yourself, which place is the real deal? Scripture tells us over and over and over again, that God has broken into our world with his good news. This is not a dream. This is the real deal. God is in this place we call ordinary life to transform whatever place we are into holy ground. I know that there are many times in our lives when we feel that God is not present and our lives feel anything but holy. But might I encourage you to be confident with Jacob and say, surely God is in this place and I didn't even know it. How awesome is this place? Because of our tendency to not see God or be found by God in the ordinary, what can we do practically to bridge the gap? Being attentive and mindful to each present moment is a discipline that we can cultivate in solitude and silence. Yet I remember 30 years ago never having solitude and silence. If a baby is crying or three or four children are pulling on your dress because they're hungry or your office is calling you and they said we have a deadline, solitude and silence can't be found. Tish Harrison Warren is an Anglican priest and a mother of small children and she's written an excellent book that I would commend to you called Liturgy of the Ordinary, Sacred Practices in Everyday Life. She invites us to incorporate bringing liturgy practices into our daily existence. Things that we do every day like what we do when we wake up, what we do when we sit at the table, what we do when we make a fool of ourselves and makes mistakes. And she helps us to reflect on things like baptism, on Eucharist, on confession. Let me give you an example that I find helpful. Every one of us wake up every morning. What's the first thought when you open your eyes and you're laying on that pillow? I wanna challenge you to think of your baptismal identity in that moment? Can we renew our mind with the thought that before we even get out of bed, we are marked by an identity that is given to us by grace, that you and I are God's beloved, and that he is well pleased with us? This is an identity that is deeper and more real than anything that the world will try to tell you in the day ahead. Martin Marty, a well-known Lutheran theologian, marks his forehead with a cross before he gets out of bed. I remember a testimony of a Korean pastor in Montreat who had converted from Buddhism to Christianity. Part of the Buddhist tradition is that you meditate over a bowl of water with a lotus flower as part of your prayer life. When this Korean pastor confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he would get up every morning and he would fill his bathroom sink and he would splash water on his face and he would say, I am a child of the Father. I am a child of the Son. I am a child of the Holy Spirit. Try it one morning this week. We all awake in the morning It's something we all share. It's ordinary, but how do we awake? This is just one practice of many that can be helpful. I would commend her book to you as you seek as individuals and families of finding practices that make every moment holy. In the tumultuous 17th century France, A gentleman named Nicholas Herman was born to peasant parents, and his poverty forced him to join the army to guarantee that he would have food and shelter. On a particularly dark winter day, he writes, looking at a barren tree stripped of leaves and fruit, he was waiting patiently for the hope of summer. Gazing at that tree, Herman grasped for the first time the extravagance of God's grace, and the unfailing sovereignty of his divine providence. Like that tree, Herman felt seemingly dead, but all of a sudden now, he felt like God had life waiting for him, and he developed a love for God that never, ever ceased to burn in his soul. An injury forced him to retire from the army, and he entered a monastery in Paris as Brother Lawrence, and he was assigned to the monastery kitchen. It was there in the kitchen amidst the tedious chores of cooking and cleaning and the constant bidding of his superiors that he developed a rule of spirituality and work and became one who learned to practice the presence of God wherever he was as he washed his pots and pans. He wrote this. He said, men invent means and methods of coming at God's love. They learn rules and set up devices to remind them of that love. And it seems like a world of trouble to bring oneself into the consciousness of God's presence. Yet it might be so simple. Is it not quicker and easier just to do our common business wholly for the love of God? that we ought not to be weary of doing little things for the love of God, who regards not the greatness of the work, but the love with which it is performed. Brothers and sisters in Christ, offer yourself this day as a living sacrifice to the one who sacrificed all for us. I'd like to close with a prayer from the book every moment holy. Please bow your heads with me. Gracious God, every sphere of life and creation is yours, and all are threads of the same bright weave, our going out and our comings in, our fellowship and our loneliness, our youth and our old age, our passions and our vocations, our chores and our entertainments, You are equally present in our failures and in our successes, in our sleep and in our wakeful hours, in our tears and in our laughter, in our birth and in our lives, and even in the hours of our deaths. You are ever-present with us. Teach our hearts and minds to practice a mindfulness of your presence in all moments. Might we remember you, O God, in all places and at all times. Might we remember your grace and love, your comfort and your mercy, your beauty and your wonder, your instruction and your holiness, that you are here with us in every moment, holy. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Pastor Leslie. If you'd like to find out more about our church or review a video of the full service, visit our website, WestminsterCharlotte.org. We look forward to seeing you soon.